Hey, I'm Matt Hudgens, and he's Dave Mulvaney, and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how you doing today, buddy? Man, I'm good. You're back from Italy. Cruising the world. That's right. That's a little international traveler now. I feel really good, refreshed, recharge the battery. So really did, did you feel guilty for not being at work for 10 days? No, I did not. I did not feel guilty at all. I did stay connected. I have, I do have a hard time getting unconnected. So I checked my email every day, probably had, you know, a couple of things to deal with every day, one or two, but I think I had done a good job of prepping my clients before I left town that, Hey, I'm going to be leaving town. Basically the week in advance, I said, I'm going to be leaving town. If there's anything you need, let me see if I can take care of it now. If not, if we put it on hold, it's like, so I was actually proactive to let them know I was out of town to see if I could get stuff done. So then, therefore, that limited the amount of stuff I had to do when I was out of town. Maybe I had to do one thing a day. I don't think it was every day. But it was really good. I used to be scared when I was younger, not tell people I was taking vacation, and then be always worried about helping. You know, uh, i got to be on call 24-7. Uh, I think this is going to lead right into what we're talking about is that it doesn't have to be that hard on myself, right? In that I think my clients understand that I have vacation and I have a family as well. And I think they can respect that. And especially if I tell them in advance and give them a heads up, hey, I'm going out of town the end of June. Let's get a meeting done before then. Let's get stuff that you need to get done before then. Otherwise that week that I'm gone, you know, I'm gonna have very limited access. So hopefully you can wait till afterwards or we'll get done. Before, I used to not tell you I was going out of town, and then I would panic when I had when you had a request. Yeah. So I did it to myself, is what I was saying. Well, and I think, so the, the, the subject we're going to cover today is hard work, and maybe it doesn't have to be hard, but um, you do have to put some time and effort into your business, but it's also, you have to have time off. Too many people uh, work seven days a week. And, and I say too many people, too many entrepreneurs and high level executives, they'll put in seven days a week. Um, that's absolutely not healthy. Your body was never made to not relax, to not rest. Um, but then there's the other end of the spectrum. And that's what I want to kind of start with. It was, Give it to me. I say the other end of the spectrum because um, as you know, in one of my previous companies, I built a sales force that stretched, um, really stretched all over the United States. It was, uh, had, we had sales reps in Costa Rica and Mexico and the Caribbean, we, all over, all over. And um, at any given time, we had over a hundred sales reps. And let's just say you could always tell the ones that put the work in. Um, they were always on the top of the leaderboard. And right. it's no different when you're in business that if, you're, if you yourself are not putting the work in, um, then the results are always, are always lacking, let's just say. So that, that's where I want to start. If you're not putting the work in, you're not, and, and it's the, um, the key is the right work, right? The things right. that bring money. Right. Um, you know, you can spend all the time you want 
in the attic or, or at the electric, you know, with a screwdriver in your hand or, or at the steering wheel, whatever, whatever you do for a living, but you got to be doing the activities that bring, that make it rain, that bring money. So. Right. Well, it's funny you mentioned this. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I can't remember if I told you this story before or not. I've used it all the time, but I always say there are three ways to make money in this world and it's to uh, add value. So it's something already doing, but you can do it quicker, faster, cheaper than me, free up my time. Um, you can solve a problem for me and that's a, a problem I have I don't want and you can solve it for me and I'll happily pay you. Well, the third thing is I think where you're getting into this is willing to do what others aren't. The hard work, the going above and beyond, right? And so the story I used to illustrate this, this was uh, 20 years ago, two guys out of work, laid off uh, from their corporate jobs. They're looking for work. They go talk to one of their buddies who is a property manager of a commercial building, you know, a high-rise building here in Midtown. Well, it doesn't matter where it is. They said, hey, we're looking for work. You got anything? And he said, well, I'm not happy with my nighttime janitor. You know, Matt and Dave, you guys could be the nighttime janitor. And uh, so they did that. You know, their corporate guys got laid off, but they weren't too proud to do this. So they were nighttime janitors. They did such a good job. They did it with a smile on their face. They did such a good job that their buddy, who's a property manager, had other buildings and other property managers that he referred them to. So before you know it, Matt and Dave have seven properties that they're the nighttime janitors of, higher staff, higher employees, doing it with a smile on our face. And at the end, I think it was about a six-year, seven-year period, they sold the business to a roll-up firm, a, a national janitorial business. And they walked away with, uh, I think it was $10 million a piece after tax. Okay. And so I tell that story because it illustrates the exact three things that they did. Right. And number one, they solved the problem. Their buddy did not like their nighttime janitor solving his problem. Two, we were um, adding value. They did the nighttime janitorial work. It wasn't beneath them. They did it with a smile on their face and they did the whole folding of the tissue and did a very nice job where it was superb. So much so, they got referrals from it. And the third thing, talk about the hard work, is they were literally willing to do what others want. Not many people laid off from corporate America would be willing to take editorial business. Um, a, a, and they was not beneath them. So they were literally willing to do what others were not. So I use that as an illustration, and that's the hard work is, now it paid off for them. Great success story, it's huge. This is a true story, I'm not telling you names, but it's, it's legitimate story and the hard work is they're willing to do what others aren't are you willing to be the janitor are you willing to put in hours are you willing to shovel the manure right and I think that gets to what you were talking about uh, so tell us about some of your hard work that you do well and I it's funny when you talk about commercial cleaning a, a friend of mine his name is Dave I won't use his last name um, but he he I work for works for a very big commercial cleaning company and um, Dave's issue was that um, the only applicants he was getting were let's just say illegals and um, it it posed a major challenge for the corporation because he couldn't um, well let's just say they couldn't hire them because they they weren't here legally so um, hang on one second. Yep. 
um, I have a dog in the background and he's talking to me because he hears oh. the uh, UPS driver backing up. But anyway, so um, Dave assisted those people in getting green cards. So you talk about solving a problem. Yep. So then he helped them get a green card. They had no credit, so they couldn't get an apartment. So his company literally would buy a house and let them rent in that house because they had no ability to get any credit or anything. He literally solved his employment problem by solving their work problem. And so his company grew like gangbusters because of what you just described. He, he added value to his company because there was, they couldn't get any applicants because nobody wanted to do the work, but he had people who wanted to do the work, but he couldn't hire them because their company has a policy. They can't hire somebody without a green card, at least a green card, which right, allowed right. to work legally in our country. So, um, and, and there was, you know, he had workers who want to do what other people wouldn't. Right. And, but right. fix his company to allow his company to grow so that he didn't have to jump back on the scrubber or anything like that. He needed, he needed um, these types of workers. And so it's a, another perfect, it just happens to be that it was commercial cleaning. You know, yeah, yeah. It, we both, we both knew somebody in that business. Um, and Dave's company is being groomed to sell because it's gotten so big that um, the time to sell is when it's so big. I mean, let's face it, when you're making a lot of money, you know, that's the time to, to sell. And, and Dave's going to do very handsomely when they do. So. Well, it's funny you talk about this. So we talked about this on a previous episode about a lot of people these days are having trouble finding good quality employees, right? And we've talked about people having their own training programs, their own apprentice programs. This guy, your guy, Dave, went above and beyond and found housing and helped them get green cards. Um, there's a coach, a strategic coach named Mary Miller, who's got a funny, another janitorial service up in the Midwest. And her value added is they help them learn English. So they'll pay for kind of continuing education, you know, get a high school degree, learn English, that, that they will pay for those type services. So again, above and beyond. And I have not just, and of course, I, you know, I was in strategic coach service and you're still in strategic coach, but I do know about Mary. And what is so interesting about Mary is that, um, her biggest problem was retention of employees. Yep. So you hire somebody and they're, they're, they would, 60 to 90 days, they'd be gone. And then you're retraining again, you're rehiring. It's very expensive to rehire because she created a program that helped these people not only learn the language, but to become citizens. Yes. This is a yep. big deal. And, and that, so she, Mary, again, created her own um she added value for these people. And, yeah. you know, if you're, you know, you could, you could talk about Simon Sinek, you know, if your why is clear enough, then um, it's not hard to find, I guess, the, the, the places in your market that, that need these, you know, these added values, solve a problem um, and do what others aren't willing to do. And, you know, that was how we ended up on this subject of, of hard work today, because I was, I was starting to, I was looking at, um, like last night, um, I, I literally got off my computer. I was sitting at the kitchen table. I'd eaten dinner. My wife was, uh, was out of town and it was nine forty-five, And I realized I'm like, I've been up since four 15 
I did my exercises. I have a routine that I go through. I have, I have my, my, my big five that I have every day. I got five must do's every day that are, are, are things that are, will set up my day. Um, like I, I, you know, I write, so I write 750 words a day. I don't always publish what I'm writing, especially if I'm working on another course, but so I write at least 750 words a day. I contact a certain amount of people every day. Um, I exercise every day. So you have these daily activities, but once I knock those out, I knock those out typically before, you know, 8.30 a.m. Then, then I've got my day ahead of me. But it was, those days now are getting to be like 12 hours. And I'm like, this is, and, and it's, and I like what I'm doing. So um, sometimes quantity of work is not hard work. Um, but if you're, if you're going through the daily grind, and you hate what you're doing, then you're focused on the wrong things, probably. I mean, I say probably. Right. Well, that goes right into so hard work or putting in the time, willing to do what others aren't, goes back to something we've talked about before is, you know, doing your A-plus activities, your money-making activities. Dan Sullivan calls it your unique abilities. Unique abilities. But it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like work. You don't mind work until 9.45 last night because whatever you're working on, you enjoyed it. What am I going to do? I mean, that's the other question I always say to, to my wife. I'm like, what am I going to do? Watch TV? Right. I mean, right. There is nothing on that idiot box that makes me want to want to choose that over maybe helping a client. Right. I, mean, I get more out of that. than So I'm creating my own uh, reality TV show every day. It's, you know, <laughs> Dave TV, right? I mean, that, you're creating Matt TV every day because you're living – the life that um, that you want to have. That's the thing is, are you living the life that you want? I mean, that, that is that the life that you want? Or are you hiding in things that, I mean. Are you hiding in busy work? Like, like there's a difference between, you know, being busy doing the busy work or being busy doing the value added work, right? I've got a client right now who's going through that. Their number one assistant is leaving. And so my client's in a panic mode, right? Oh my gosh, you know, she does so much for me. What am I going to do? I've got to figure this out. Um, and so she feels like she's spinning her wheels as her assistant, the number one person left, but reminded her that, Hey, you're supposed to be doing the A plus activities, your money making activities. We will find somebody else to do non-essentials for you. And hopefully your person has been, creating her own checklists along the way. So it'll be easier to get your new assistant in there. That's where I was getting, that was going to ask. I was going to ask. So did her assistant have systems and processes spelled out so that now your, your client can go to the new assistant and say, this is what the, the previous person did. This is how they did it. Now what I want you to do is I want you to learn this for about 60 to 90 days. And then I want you to say, Oh, I can do this better. Or I can do this better. And then you write that into your own system. And then if you ever leave, you're going to hand, I'm going to have a copy of that and I'm going to know how to replace you. That is exactly where we are. I just started working with this client. So that is, yes. The answer to your question is yes. We've had her make checklists and little videos. I use screencast matic and little checklists. But it's still that sense of panic on her part because she hasn't been through this before. You and I have been through this. This is why you and I like systems and processes because we know that we can 
train people better and get people in our systems and processes to get things done and to improve it. But I'm not real good at setting up systems and processes. If you, um, like Gina Wickman has, uh, what was his, Rocket Fuel, his book. So he talks about right. visionaries and you got integrators. Well, I'm a visionary, which means I'm not a systems and process guy. I'm a visionary. I see things. And no, but you want systems and processes to be followed by somebody else. Yep. And so documenting processes, people um, make, I think, too big of a deal out of this. So we're, we're talking about hard work. Well, if you want to make your work and your life easier, document your processes. Well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, uh, do all the documenting or, or whatever. Okay, then create videos of your employees while yeah. they're working and then have somebody transcribe those videos. So, oh, wow, this is our process. And then you can start going, okay, I, I, I can create a checklist out of this and you've created a process. Too many people make creating processes. Uh, they make it hard work, right? <laughs> I mean, that's creating a process doesn't have They to make it hard work. Because you're funny about that because we were talking about that uh, with the same client and it, the idea is that um, it isn't hard work. It's just, it is what you do. And not only that, when you actually start thinking this way, that everything you do is a task or a project that I would one day like to outsource or delegate, when you actually start to think that way, you'll find pieces of a task that other people can help you with. And I got a great example. I'm working with uh, another client of mine that's healthcare services. And she was talking about, well, I have to handle every referral. And I'm like, well, a referral is a big process, right? You have a center of influence who gives you the referral, then you've got, then there's an appointment to be set, then there's a meeting with the prospect, then there's a follow-up with the prospect, then there's a follow-back up with the referral source, then there's, did the client become a client or not a client? Those are about 10 steps that I just mentioned. And by the way, the only part that you, Mr. Client, needs to be a part of is meeting the new prospect, right? That there is somebody that can set up the appointment for you. There's somebody that can send a thank you email to your referral source. Heck, nowadays you could have a canned email. Hey, thank you, Dave, for sending me the referral. Um, there is somebody else who sets the appointment. You need to have the client referral meeting, yes, but there could be some prep work that one of your assistants could get done for you. You want to know about the client and why it might be a good fit and what are their concerns. So you have a focused meeting. There's somebody else that can send the follow-up email to the prospect. Hey, lovely meeting you, Dave. Anyway, my point being is when you actually write it out, she was like, gosh, there are a lot of steps in me getting referral, and I really only have to be involved in one or two. And, it, and if you, like, here, sending that email. So what should be done is you write that email once, Yep. That email to your virtual assistant, or, or I say virtual assistant, it could be an actual assistant. Give right. that email to your assistant. And that's the, that's the template. I believe that um, realistically, every business owner, if there's one thing you get out of this, this episode, every business owner should write two emails a week. Two. At least, at least two emails a week. It doesn't mean you're going to email them, but you're going to write them. And then you're going to find out what is, well, what's the result you want out of that email? Okay. So is it a follow-up? Is it a, um, and you start creating these emails that are designed to generate a response. If you're, if, it, if it's a, um, a warm up email, is it a follow-up email? But you create these emails and then when you need them, 
you could start automating them. But if they're already pre-written, you can turn them over to someone else who can who can send them. There are services who do this, you know. Uh, Virtual assistants and all that, yeah. 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 Well, it's uh, funny you say that. So I actually just found an app this week. So typically what I do is I put my templates just in the draft in my Google. I use Google Business. And I'll just leave those templates in a draft, okay? There's actually a, an add-on app that I can add that I was just looking at yesterday, as a matter of fact, where I can put the templates in a little better format that somebody else can just drag and drop instead of having to go, hey, I wrote that template, addressed, I titled it, you know, follow-up response. Um, anyway, so I put mine right now in my draft, but there's a better way to do it. I'm always looking for better ways. But you're exactly right. I like your idea of writing two of them a week. Right, because certainly during the course of the week, you're writing a bunch of emails, and you could say, "I might need this one again." That's exactly that's exactly where I was going. Um, what we when it when I had my electrical company, we would um, electrical manufacturing company, we would literally get oh, I don't know how many emails a week that would hit our engineering department, you know, with technical requests and all this stuff. And I'm like, stop before you answer that email. I want you to write that in the answer in Microsoft Word, and I want you to title it in such a way that we can find it so that we can cut and paste that. So what we ended up with was this massive booklet of frequently asked questions. And the reason I did it, I, I, I'll be 100% transparent. I was selfish to all get out because I never knew if I was going to lose an engineer. I needed those answers because I'm not an engineer. <laughs> you know, so... If they ever happened, I had, but I can tell you, I read their answers because they always copied me and I learned so much, but we, we had those cataloged. And, and so I don't care if you're in a technical business, if you're in a sales business, if you're in a sales business and your customer asks a question, this is, this is important. If they ask a question and you send an email and it closes the deal, you hit a hot button. Right. Now, what right. you want to do is you want to, you, you say, okay, this was the question. So what you're trying to figure out is what the pulse of, pulse of that client was when they asked that question and something you said in there, it hit the emotion because that's when people buy. You got to get to the emotion. You hit right. that emotion, but so, um, you know, it might be the emotion, you hit their fear emotion and that that's why they buy. It doesn't matter what the emotion is. Um, you hit their uh, ego emotion, whatever that is, you you can also categorize answers. It doesn't matter the business you're in. You should be looking at anytime you answer a question on behalf of a client, it closes a deal or doesn't close the deal. Yep. You yep. could be looking at that response going, okay, what could I have done to improve the response? And sometimes asking the client, by the way, the, the, the who you're talking to, you went with uh, company B. Can you, would you mind just letting me know why? And oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We were talking about this with a, with a new client that I have right now and um, conversions are down. Remember number two, number one, yep. you get more leads. Number two, conversions. So conversions are down. Uh, last quarter, she had the same amount of prospects, same amount of meetings, but the conversion was really low. So let's go back and figure out why. Um, we're just starting this process with her, but the point being is certainly you, you couldn't have done everything exactly right, or you would have gotten, I'm sorry, you couldn't have done everything the same because you wouldn't have gotten a different result or the market is changing, in which case 
we do need to do something different because the market has changed. But either way, we need to know the answer. Did I do something differently inadvertently? Or is the market changing and I need to come up with a better process to convert? But you got to ask that. That's, that's, uh, that reminded me of, of, a, um, of a lead magnet that we used yeah. for, six, for six years. The lead magnet converted like crazy. But when it stopped converting, so I wrote the lead magnet in 2004. It stopped converting in 2010. So now what happened in between 2009 and 2010? The whole market pretty much collapsed. So what, what was different was the abundance of easy to get at cash was gone. So my lead magnet stopped converting because the market had changed. So we had to, we had to change our marketing. And that's what people, when you find something that works, like right now I got a real estate um, investment letter that is converting over 18%. Awesome. Four houses this month because of a new letter that I wrote. And um, when you have that kind of conversion ratio, I can tell you that I'm going to dry up Northeast Florida with that letter. <laughs> Every homeowner in Northeast Florida is going to see that letter. But that being said, that's the point of marketing. When you get something that works, you're going to, you want to, you want it like it's a washcloth. You want to get every drop of money you can get out of the market when you have something that works. But then it stops working. Everything's going to stop working sooner or later, and you got to adjust. And systems and processes, it happens that way too. Well, it's funny. I'm starting to, the change in the title of this should be hard work, make it easy. <laughs> what we're really doing is, is saying hard work isn't hard work if it's your A-plus activities and you enjoy it. It's not hard. Hard work isn't hard work if you have systems and processes in place to help you make it easier. Well, work, work doesn't ha work doesn't have to be hard. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm almost thinking we changed the title. Hard work doesn't have to be hard. It's so true because we make it hard. Yeah. Uh, we are the biggest. Any, um, I literally, I'm just signing up a new client today, um, and. You know, he was talking about how for the first half of the call, he was talking about all his experience in, in this particular industry. And um, then as we started talking about him growing his business, he said, I'm just not sure that I'm qualified enough. And see, this is, I think a lot of people experience. Yeah. It, it, am I worthy? It's imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't remember who the speaker was, but they were, we're talking to like a multi, 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 multi-millionaire speaker who was saying that every time he got on stage, his biggest fear was that the people in the audience would figure out that he doesn't know as much as they think that, that he knows. Well, think about that. This is a guy making millions of dollars a year right. and he's concerned that his audience will figure out that he's an imposter, basically. Um, well, we all have that. Um, and I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we bury ourselves in hard work that is not the work that, that really brings the, uh, the growth in the business, the growth to you as a person. Um, and, and so we're all right on track. Funny you said it. I was just at a, a luncheon today talking about a real estate agent, just residential real estate, 
talk about the ups and downs, you know, because their business ebbs and flows with closing. But talked about the two things would be uh, one of the non-essential tasks that, that it's a husband-wife combo that they're doing, one of which was bookkeeping, right? So as they say, there's an app for that, right? There's an app on your phone, that, especially if you're a small business, you can keep track of all your bills with this app, right? What's the, what's the app, do you know? Yeah, so, so I QuickBooks Online. Okay. So I'm using QuickBooks Online, and they have two different versions or three different versions. You can use kind of a small, medium, and large version. And it's literally hooked up to my bank account and my credit card. So when I charge a lunch, let's say I charge today's lunch, right? It's going to show up on the app as a charge to Nancy's Pizza, whatever it's called. And I will just click on it and say that was a meeting with a client. Boom, I am done. And it matches that, and it goes into my meals and entertainment expense account. So it's classified, and it has the receipt from the credit card bill, and I can take a picture of the receipt on my phone. Boom, I am literally done. It took all of about 10 seconds. Now that's, see, that's the tip of the day. And, and by the way, um, meals and entertainment are no longer tax deductible. Meals are not entertainment. But uh, we, we don't, on this show, we don't give tax or legal advice. <laughs> that's our disclosure. <laughs> There's our disclosure. Yes. Meals in the normal course of business are still allowed. Yes. Like golf and sports tickets are no longer allowed. Um, but I got to tell you, I literally started using this. I've been using three or four different apps, and I've got a bookkeeper still, but she's coming in a lot less. She used to come in every month. Now she's coming in once a quarter because this has become so efficient that it's like you go to whatever, the uh, uh, Costco to buy some office supplies. Bam, Costco credit card bill, click on it. Office supplies goes into the accounting vision. Take a picture of that receipt. Now I got the receipt matches the credit card into the accounting line of, you know, office supplies. It's so, uh, to go back um, on an accounting level, let's. I'll give you a loophole. So the loophole around the meal and entertainment, um, the government eliminating like. If you're staying in a hotel tonight, Matt, you can't go out and have a meal and, and chart it to your company anymore. However, I mean, if you're with a client, that's a different story. But they, they've changed some rules. But you are, you are able to allow any employees of a corporation can receive per diem while they are traveling. And that is uh, non-taxable. Uh, that's not income. Uh, but you, that employee or is not required to spend the full per diem. So there are ways around those types of things. The government, for every, um, how do you say it? You got lawyers and, and accountants are, who are the people who run our government. For every time they take something away, they give it back to you in another area. Because well, I heard the greatest statement was the tax law was actually written to benefit the business owner. Of course, so, it always so is. If we know the loopholes or we know the exceptions, they're written for us to take advantage of. If you're a W-2 employee, you get income, you pay your tax, and you're kind of done. The business owners get their income, deduct their expenses that are legal to deduct, and then we pay taxes on what's left over. So it's a beautiful thing. I didn't mean to get in there. We can have a whole other conversation about tax stuff. Well, here we are. We're talking so... Uh, um, but also about making work easy. He was doing non-essential work, doing the books himself. The husband and wife were doing the books themselves. I said hire a bookkeeper and or this app, the QuickBooks Online because that would make your life easier. You wouldn't be doing it. Somebody else would be doing it. I still think you need to know your numbers. We talked about this in the past. So you need to stay on top of it, but you don't actually have to do it. 
Yeah, as long as you have access to the books, which a, a program like Quick, QuickBooks, if your business is fairly simple, that's an ideal program. You can access it. You don't have to have it. I mean, it's online now. It's, awesome. it's totally awesome. But my point being, it's that stuff that was a time waster for him, non-essential work, right? Like talking about setting appointments, right? I got a new client that we're talking about trying to teach them diligence. What is hard work? Well, uh, they're worried. They're working too many hours. So part of the thing we always talk about is they want to make more money and have more time off and pay less in tax. In order to take more time off, you've got to concentrate just on the A plus activities, the money making activities, and you've got to learn to delegate or outsource those non-essential, which might be bookkeeping, which might be checking your email, which might be answering the phone, which might be setting appointments, right? But in order to know that, you need to know what you're doing every day. Right, goes back to our activity inventory. Um, goes back to your activity log, whatever. It's, it's not that was not a Dan Sullivan trademark, by the way. Activity inventory is a generic term, by the way. Okay, good. Well, I did. Give him, I gave him credit, though. You did, but you got to know what you're doing so you know what are those A activities. Because eighty twenty rule, we are all spending eighty percent of our time doing non-essential stuff. So if you don't have enough time off, if you're working too many hours, odds are you're spending 80% of your time doing non-essential work. And that's the first place to free up your time. And some things, some things though, are that we're talking about. If you're, if you're a solopreneur, you've got a business and, and it takes a lot of your time um, to do a lot of the, let's call them non-essentials. I get that. But if there's one thing that is very important is then you need to manage your money in such a way that you're isolating a portion of your profitability so you're building a nest egg that will allow you to eliminate debt. And I've talked about this a long time ago, but I talk about it regularly, so that you can begin purchasing cash-flowing assets and what will become cash-flowing assets for you and your business if you're a solopreneur will probably be people that you can hire to help you because uh, you, you'll always be more effective as you bring people into your company. They don't necessarily have to be employees. They could be people that you outsource to, but you'll, that's, that will be the first cash flowing assets that you would invest in because they will make you more effective doing your A plus activities. Yeah. And talk about hard working or working hard again, I'll just go back and use this dentist example. The greatest way for a dentist to make money, more money is to do more procedures, right? So typically the dentist has his schedule and these are how many procedures and I'm talking about doing the actual cavities and caps and cosmetics and that type of stuff. Guarantee you they are not working 40 hours a week doing procedures. They're working 50%. They're working 30%. They're working 60%, right? that they are spending the rest of that time doing non-essential activities. The best way for that dentist to make more money, do more of those procedures and find somebody else to do the other tasks because that's not his money-making activity. The only time I would add an unless to that would be if the dentist is working 40 hours and he can't work anymore, he or she can't work any more hours. Let's say they're working six days, whatever, and cannot possibly work any more hours. Then I would tell that dentist the best way for you to make more money is you need, well, you need to sell, um, either sell other products or services or invest your money into things that will earn you money that you can be passive on. Real estate's a great, um, I like real estate. So do you, Matt, because 
Um, if, if it brings you income and you've had that, you've had it for uh, one year and one day, it's a 20%, it's passive income and it's only taxed at 20%. It's one of the best investments you can make because it has the lowest tax in comparison with other investments. Um, and if you, if you purchase it in a Roth IRA, um, self-directed Roth IRA, that money grows tax free. So there's, when you get to a point, you know, we don't talk enough, you're a wealth builder. That's what you do for a living. And then we don't talk enough about actually building wealth. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. And, I, and I was, I'm changing something the last second is messaging. We've done a piece on messaging. And uh, so I wrote this whole article we've talked about on this before, the four pillars, you know, you got your business, you got real estate, retirement, and a wealth accumulation account. Nobody cares. I put that out. I publish that in uh, a lot of uh, Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups. I get nothing. I get no response on that, right? That's not the message they want to hear. They want to hear, how do I get more clients? How do I take more time off? So my own messaging is that, yeah, you know why we don't talk enough about wealth building? is because they don't know what they don't know. They don't want to hear it. I totally agree with you. I, I think everybody should be working the four pillars or the five pillars. We talked about because you had you had more real estate in there than I did. Um, but I don't want to talk about it because that's not the message that hits them. We can teach them that once we get them in our system, right? Because the idea would be, I want you to make so much money that there's excess money. Excess money allows you to build the wealth, invest in the real estate. Excess money allows you to take more time off because you hire more people or outsource. Excess money helps you to save for retirement. Excess money helps you to have a wealth accumulation account. Excess money buys you freedom. Excess money buys you employees Buy to do the things you don't want to do. That's yeah. what excess money does. That's what it, so it's almost like our own messaging needs to be, let's generate excess cash flow, right? Because that's what they know or understand or want. They don't understand or want the four pillars. They don't know or understand the benefits of real estate. We got to give people what they want, not what they need. That's exactly right. And then we'll teach them what they don't know, which is the wealth. There's no better way to build wealth in America than to own your own business. There's no way around that. That's the, the number one. The amount of wealth you can build, and the, the beauty of it is you don't have to be making a million dollars a year as a small business owner to build the wealth. You don't have to because of the tax savings we talked about, because of the real estate we talked about, because of the, the uh, retirement planning that we talked about. I mean, because of the tax savings we talked about. You don't have to be making a million dollars to be building the wealth. You can have a very modest income, modestly successful, but just pay very little in taxes and, and, and take advantage of all the benefits of real estate and retirement planning. You don't have to be making money. But the point- Company cars, company, I mean, there's- a Company cars, hiring the kids, um, outsourcing, your travel gets tagged into your uh, work habits, all that type of stuff, exactly yeah. right. But, but, but we need to deliver the message of, we're going to generate so much excess cash flow, you won't have anything else to do except build wealth. Maybe that's our message. Yeah. So, okay, so many new clients and so many business and so systematized, you're making so much money, you have no choice but to build your wealth. And then we'll show you how to do that. You know, Matt, you, people, you, I can't stress it enough. Um, having been through some very tough financial challenges in my life, I was so thankful that I invested money prior to those financial challenges because had I not, I couldn't imagine if I would have had to say to my daughter, I don't have money for you to go to college to be a psychiatrist. I, I couldn't imagine having had that conversation, but yeah. because yeah. I thought of it way ahead and I was always isolating profit, 
when when the going got tough, I can I can remember my wife going, "Are we okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I we're we're good." I mean, when you're able to say we're good because you've made decision, people don't want it. They don't want to do the things that they had. Hard work doesn't have to be hard, but you got to do the things that you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And that includes saving money. That includes yeah. not borrowing more than you can afford to pay back because you do have to pay it back. Maybe that's our piece is preparing for the next recession. Maybe that's a podcast. And it's coming. Let's, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll cover that. that could be a good one. All right, man. Uh, so this was hard work. It doesn't have to be hard. Uh, you got to put in your hours, but put in your hours doing the A-plus activities. Don't put in your hours doing the waste time wasters. Um, how to make hard work easy is by delegating, outsourcing, by doing delegating the non-essentials. Uh, how to make hard work fun. Well, you're only doing the A-plus activities, your unique ability, the stuff you're good at, your money-making activities. Then it doesn't feel like work. Precisely. Yeah. All right, my friend. Where can we find Dave Mulvaney? You can find me at davidmulvaney.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn at David Mulvaney. Um, and you can, we want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And this will be coming out soon on a podcast. Where can, it, where can we find you, Matt? Yeah, so it's uh, 10xprofitblueprint.com, 10xprofitblueprint.com. Got a couple free videos, free downloads over there. And then, of course, uh, Matt Hudgens over at LinkedIn. So big Perfect. Right, we'll talk soon, Matt. Yeah.